This podcast, produced by 18 to 25-year-olds, was entirely recorded in the year of 2020, over Zoom calls, down the phone, and through WhatsApp voice messages. For this reason alone, audio quality may vary. Enjoy the ride. This is The Higher Frequency. Welcome to The Higher Frequency, a podcast by Youth Music. This episode is Gender Trouble, brought to you by Notion Magazine, a space for pioneering talent. My name is Melina Simonson. And I'm Liv Kisby. In this episode, we're going to be reflecting on how music can challenge our preconceived notions of gender and identity. Today, we're joined by Gurley, a genre-bending alternative pop musician from London, and Grove, a genderqueer producer and vocalist from Bristol. With Girlie and Grove, we explore power, identity, performance, and social media, all in relation to gender, sexuality, and music. Not only do we have in-depth conversations with these artists about these topics, but we hear the voices of members of the LGBT community in their unique perspectives and experiences as avid music listeners. We wanted to focus the episode on LGBT plus artists and their expression of gender and identity in music, because at this moment more than ever, They're breaking through the confines of the industry to offer authentic, refreshing and subversive sounds and voices that have previously been rejected. As members of the LGBT plus community ourselves, we wanted to hear from the perspectives of like-minded artists and listeners, how music is used as a medium to confront, navigate and perform the deeply personal and political topics of gender and sexuality. In this first section of the podcast, we open a conversation with our guests, Gurley and Grove, and then Melina and I reflect in the studio. So one of the things I talked to Gurley about was um, how she writes very candidly about her sexuality and romantic attraction in her songs. And I was really interested in hearing if there had been any communication about this from more of like an industry or production point of view. So that was one of the questions I had for her. Something from like a production side of you where anybody like talked to you about writing songs like this or anything like that? Or were they completely on board with it from the beginning? I think... For sure, when I was starting to write music and I was being put in the studio with a lot of older men, basically, or male producers, and I would feel like, oh, I don't know if I can be honest about this or talk about it, say it's a girl. So sometimes I just say, oh, it's a guy, if I was writing something romantic or whatever. But I think now, as I've gotten older, I've got a lot more confident and comfortable in my sexuality and... I'm not worried about that anymore. But it is interesting sometimes how it can be kind of tokenized or fetishized. Like, oh, you're writing about a girl today, huh? Or, you know, oh, you're, you're not writing that hetero love story or whatever. It's like, this is part of my life. This is normal to me. And it might feel like crazy to you, but it's like really not. And so whenever someone responds like that, I'm usually like, yeah, cool. I'm not going to collab with you anymore. Okay, that's good. But yeah, yeah. It's sometimes it's kind of almost the opposite of somebody being like, oh yeah, no, that's really, really cool. And instead of like being put off by it. Yeah. They go like, so the other way they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, I'm not like trying to be like super quirky <laughs> this is just my sexuality like what i definitely think i hear more songs where um they use uh pronouns that fit with like same-sex attraction because i think a lot 
before, even if you knew somebody was um, not straight, they would still use, they would use like you pronouns and like talk about them in the second person if they were talking about romantic, interesting songs. So I think there's definitely been more of an like acceptance of using pronouns that kind of say, no, no, I'm, I'm a girl talking about a girl. And I think that's really great. So it's, it's like, it becomes normalized in the music that we listen to. Yeah, I find that as well. I was thinking, I can't think of specific stuff that I've listened to that's like explicitly been like, I'm gay. But like, yeah, with pronouns, something that a band that Liam talks about, one of the community listeners that we spoke to, he talks about car seat headrest and I was just re-listening to their album um, and Will Toledo the lead singer he just constantly throughout the whole album uses he pronouns to talk about like someone that he's like romantically attached to and it's just really like consistent the whole way through and it's really like refreshing and and he said that in his answer listening to car seat headrest like three years ago was pretty impactful on my understanding of my sexuality. As cliche as it sounds, you know, twin fantasy was quite a crazy moment to hear that, you know, when I was struggling to come to terms with who I was. I don't really go to music to, to, for understandings of my gender or my sexual identity, but I think it is absolutely incredibly important and so profound to have an artist singing about what has come to be, up until now, has been such a such a taboo topic, I guess, you know, to sing about. So would you say that there have been shifts in power imbalances within production? From from what I've seen, I think I think there's a shift currently happening. I really, I really do. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of it can be accredited to people having people being able to do their own stuff at home. So Grove mentions like the shifts in power imbalances through production being in the hands of um, the people that are making the music and access being like more wide. And um, yeah, especially in bedroom recording, um, especially for women and LGBT artists. Because I guess before, if you had to go and produce and then you'd have to go to a studio or you'd have to go to this uh, community, uh, like a space where there would be like all males working. I think maybe that would put some people who are not men off because it's like there is already this hierarchy in which you are like at the bottom and people kind of expect less of you as a result of you not being a man. But I think people being able to take that whole process, put it in your bedroom and just be free and just play with stuff and then be able to release it and it sounds sick. I think that in terms of being free from like patriarchal uh, environments, usually I feel that benefits not only non-men, but all marginalized people. Uh, lyrics generally are very hit or miss, but if an artist is talking about themselves, in a, even in a fictional way, but about things that they experience or have experienced. Stefano, a member of the community and a listener, spoke about the importance of confessional lyricism and how it can be recorded, uh, songs can be recorded in the bedroom environment without amazing production, but still have a really amazing affect. The authenticity makes something special about the song and the artist. 
works. So it works perfectly. And you don't even need big production to get struck by the confessional nature. You can record it in your bedroom. And I think that point is really important because it's like, in terms of production, I think maybe in my teen years, I was really drawn to the lo-fi sound um, and like the sense of intimacy that came with the sound of people or maybe queer people recording in a bedroom environment. There's like a real feeling of closeness in the sounds themselves as well as the lyrics. I even feel like the bad quality adds to the special feeling that the music gives and that it adds to its authenticity. It's really interesting because uh, you said teen years because for me it's kind of been the opposite. It's something that I'm kind of discovering now and um, I'm finding really inspiring as I'm kind of trying to write my own things and play around with like media and storytelling in various forms. Just this concept that you don't have to have lots of fancy equipment to tell your story I think is really important. So this idea of opening up um, access to different spaces also kind of fits in with one of the things I talked to Gurley with, which was about how she felt she had been received in the industry as a queer woman. Do, do you think in, in general being a queer woman has influenced how you've been received or, or your presence in the music industry? I think on the fan side, it's been amazing because, like I said, the LGBT community of music fans is so loyal and intense in the best way and so dedicated and strong and so that side of things is amazing and especially social media and online as well in terms of the music industry I mean I have like had my ups and downs in the music industry I think it's like run by middle-aged white men who don't really know what they're doing. Right now, like queer artists are just leading the way. Fans and social media and and that side of the music industry is amazing. And it's like, has way more power, I think, now than, you know, all those men in boardrooms. I think that the power is shifting. Do you feel like there is a, a difference to when you're working with like female producers um, versus male producers? Yes, I think it just feels amazing <laughs> i you know i think it's like the energy is really different it's it's weird that it's still so rare to find a female producer a lot of the producers i work with are men and they're awesome they're super cool but even though i you know i've had to train myself to not keep quiet when i want to say something and you know to speak up and to say hey you know and but the amount of times i've been gaslit patronized talk down to um made to feel silly or small in studio sessions and I feel like with a, a woman producer it's just there's none of that because there's no like preconceived ideas of gender or hierarchy or you know anything it's just like it's just a vibe <laughs> it is interesting like what she said about how there are so few female producers yeah like it's really surprising that there are so few and even in collectives that are have a lot of queer artists in them and stuff and like have this whole image and sound of being queer it's like a lot of the main people behind it are still men i think one of the reasons why it's also so important to talk about uh, gender and identity uh, within the music industry is 
part of like that last bit she said about like how many times she's been like gaslit and talked down to. And I feel like in the last couple of years, those stories have really started to come out and people have started talking about this hierarchy and inequality that they face. Just like white men who are doing most of the production in it. There's still this concept of like male genius at like kind of being the on the production side and then like the females or the non I hate the word females but uh, the women and the non-men are just like adding their own thing but they're never the the one that sees everything and controls everything and it's like how it how do we change that so we kind of talked about like the representation in the industry and kind of like why it's important for artists. But I think another side of representation is also why it's really important for like the community and listeners to kind of hear and see people like themselves reflected in the music industry. And that is kind of the next section that I talked to Gurley about and her experiences with that as both an artist, but also as a music listener. So, like, growing up, any of these um, musical influences that I had, was there any that, like, stood out to you as kind of, like, challenging notions of gender, talking about sexuality and stuff, and kind of how did they inspire your journey with that and, like, artistry? Tegan and Sarah were a really big one for me because they were the first, like, representations in real life. Like, I'd watched a lot of shows, as in TV shows or movies, about gender and sexuality that had influenced me in a certain way, but they were some of the first real people that I was like, wow, they're both lesbian, really openly about it. They write songs about it. They have girlfriends. They're like, have friends that, you know, because I was such a fan, I, I'd go on their Instagram and, you know, they'd post with friends of theirs. And that was the first representation sometimes of like gender non-conforming people or trans people were like Tegan and Sarah's friends or, you know, so yes, the music and their band introduced me to a lot, but also just going down little social media rabbit holes through that and finding the first representations of, yeah, trans, gender non-conforming people and pictures of pride festivals in other cities. I was like, whoa. Yeah, they were a big influence for me. I feel like it's becoming like a really common experience, especially in the LGBT community, for like looking at and engaging with artists' social media. And that being a sense of a really, like, intimate kind of knowledge of them. I guess each artist is, like, different with how much they share and how, like, manipulated their the images are or the perception of their life. But definitely for me, going down social media, Instagram rabbit holes of people that I really admire, not even musicians, just... And it can be, it's definitely positive, but then... Obviously, it has its negative sides of obsessing over people. But then it obviously <laughs> is really important for, yeah, underrepresented people. I, I can definitely rem remember kind of similar stories in my life as, as to what she said of like finding, you find one queer artist or a person that you look up to. And then when you look out the friend group, you're like, oh, there's more. And that kind of like being some of the first instances of seeing representation of, of yourself, which I think is one of the positive sides of social media. You know, there's a lot to be said about that, but I think, I think it's cool when um, you, you kind of have that personal connection with artists and also it can kind of help you figure out who you are or introduce you to new concepts that maybe you don't really see in your everyday life and community around you. 
So a topic that I spoke about with Grove in quite a lot of detail was the parallels between gender performance and musical performance. Do you think performance offers non-binary and trans and like genderqueer people a chance to feel embodied within their gender? 100%. Lots of non-binary, trans, otherwise gender non-conforming people, whenever I see them perform, like it's always this, this beautiful, fluid expression of gender as a whole. And I think performance really offers like a really great avenue for people to be able to understand understand where people people are in terms of gender without people having to specifically vocalize it it's like oh it's there it's you you can see it you don't have to like talk about the nitty gritties of it it's just visual art yeah which i think i think is a really beautiful way to be expressing gender nonconformity are there any specific ways gender queerness makes its way into your songwriting process so i haven't got any tracks that are like specifically talking in depth about gender gender queerness but i think it's just like normalizing maybe normalizing the language like using like they pronouns within the track and mentioning that i'm gender queer within like a hip hop track and i don't know just kind of dropping it in just like dropping it in just spreading little nuggets of normalization within <laughs> within yeah, it nice sprinkle exactly just that da, 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 da. <laughs> just a little sprinkle <laughs> One of the things I think they described really well was this bit about performance kind of just like showing how that person is with their gender and kind of like the uh, performance art bit. Because I think, you know, as humans, we try and put words to things, to labels and put things in boxes. But the whole thing about being gender nonconforming is that it doesn't fit into a box. So I think a lot of people try and like in a in a really like ironic way and be like oh this is how you are genderqueer um but the best way to just kind of like experience how somebody sees themselves and identifies themselves is to actually just experience them yeah that's a really good point one of the community listeners esme was talking about how they listen to a specific uh band and have been to a few of their gigs uh called gloss and they play into that really over-the-top performance but in a in a way that's really like powerful and that goes against the notion of uh lgbt people being needing to be protected and stuff and like th their performance of gender is just so like unapologetic gloss was the first hardcore band that sounded it sounded heavy it sounded hard it was you know the stuff i liked and they were yelling about stuff that was important to me, that I could relate to, that I wanted to be yelling about, that I could yell along with them and mean it, you know, with my full heart. So seeing a band that has trans members in it and they're talking about the struggles uh, that trans women face, um, that was really eye-opening and refreshing to see in within the hardcore community. Um, I wanted to find out more about the differences between physical performance, like performing in person um, and connecting directly with the community versus especially in these times in lockdown and through the pandemic with people in the community virtually and whether that is it's possible to achieve the same or if any level of connection. Hell no. 
no, no. Usually after the adrenaline rush of doing a show, you're like, okay, cool, cool. Let's let's bustle about. Let's grab some drinks. Let's do this. Let's do this. Have a chat with you. Have a chat with you. Um, but there's just none of that. I just went downstairs and people were like, how was your thing? I was like, yeah, fine. And then that was it. Would you say there are links to be made between everyday gender performance and musical performance? I guess in terms of like certain aspects of gender, queerness and gender, like fluidity, there is an element of like hyper, hyper masculinizing or hyper feminizing or hyper androgenizing the whole look. Personally, I do that within performance of like certain songs. Like I think when I'm performing like Big Papa live, I put on this like super faux hyper masculine energy, like oh yeah yeah yeah, but it's like all it all ties back into like this full parody of what the phrase "I love it when you call me Big Papa" means. Like it's a full parody of that, and I think maybe within different tracks that I do, I, I lean towards different yeah gender expressions like with uh, on the spectrum yeah so I guess they do link but in my everyday life I don't find myself hyper feminizing or hyper masculinizing myself only within music and and that aspect of it I find it especially interesting the point that they made about like making a parody of a specific kind of element of gender or maybe an element of masculinity or femininity and I feel like in quite a lot of music that or me and Grove specifically were talking about like PC music and that group and how they a lot of it is kind of a parody of maybe gender norms and also um, like genre just genres kind of it's like a post genre and post gender kind of experience um, and like approach to making music where it's like conglomeration of all these different genres and this like hyper feminine voice that re making it into a new kind of sound and a good sound that hasn't really been a thing before I thought that was interesting yeah and kind of in the same way like I I was thinking like how it's a really great metaphor in in some way of like when you hear a song, that song isn't necessarily expressing like 100% of who that person is, but you're kind of exploring an area and an idea. Um, and, and in the same way, like you can hyperfeminize or, or hypermasculinize different songs and kind of exploring different areas of your, your gender, your personality or your, your thoughts and emotions, but to kind of get like a full picture of what's going on you need more songs like you need the entire album or you need mm. the performance aspects of it as well mm. so it's kind of like a postmodern way of like each thing is a little little part of a of a whole you need to collect all of them yeah and it's never fixed that's like the amazing thing with music and yeah. experimenting with it in that way that you can have so many different elements of yourself or what the the emotion you're feeling that at that specific moment and just putting it into a sonic form and then that's always shifting yeah it's cool i i've been thinking about that lately like when you when i was younger and i think for a lot of younger people like if you if you listen to somebody you're like oh they have a specific sound and then you know they make a new album and they've changed the sound you're like oh you're not the same anymore kind of after having grown up, I'm like, no, of course you're not the same anymore. You're not going to want to explore the exact same things in the exact same way throughout your entire life. Um, I think that's really beautiful when when people kind of like don't have a definite like genre or way they approach things because it really just shows that it kind of 
it comes from what they're feeling at the moment. And I think both like Grove and, and Gurley are really, you know, do that where they're like, oh, what ties it together is them. That's the thing that um, they are the artist. Um, but it's not specifically like, oh, pop or rock. We also reached out to some of our friends who are part of the LGBT plus community to hear about their thoughts on music and gender and identity and how it all fits together in their lives. When discovering new music, is the emotional rawness, vulnerability and openness of an artist important to you? How does this contribute to your sense of connection to the music and maybe the wider community of fans? It is really important to me that the artist is emotionally raw and vulnerable, especially LGBTQ artists and me being part of that community. Because being part of a marginalised community when there is a shared understanding and feeling of raw emotion and vulnerability and experiences of discrimination, it's really important that artists share that pain or experience because you feel so much more connected and seen within their music in a world where you're not necessarily very visible uh, or accepted or people understand how you feel. I feel the vulnerability, rawness and openness of an artist can actually be somewhat overrated. I think that's quite a rockist idea that is uh, becoming more and more uh, outdated in many ways. Do you feel more connected to the artists you listen to when perceiving their online presence or physical presence, for example, at gigs? Personally, I feel not that connected to artists at gigs. I prefer listening online. I love gigs, and there is something really special about seeing someone live, but often seeing them physically breaks the fourth wall for me. I do feel more connected to artists I listen to if I can see their physical presence. I've been to see um, several bands live, and it does change everything. How is it important for you to see yourself represented in the artists and music? It is somewhat important that um, I see myself represented in the artists I listen to. A lot of the artists I listen to are female artists. Um, growing up, I never really identified with the male experience or the male identity. I was very much more feminine due to my due to my sexuality and due to my gender identity. I think it's very important to see yourself reflected in your music because that's the same... Um, in all media, if you know non-binary artists like uh, Dorian Electra, then you know what a non-binary person is. You have an example, and especially when first coming out, that is such an important thing to be able to give yourself. Like, I really do like seeing myself represented in in other forms of media, but I think within music, I don't... I'm Because it's not like a necessarily a big part of like music I don't know maybe I think because I'm looking for like sounds and stuff I'm not necessarily looking at the lyrics but then I think also it is nice when you get lyrics that you can relate to like again like um Sophia by Clara like I think that's such a powerful like like song and and, and it speaks for so much experience and I think also so I don't think it's necessarily about like like, I think a lot of people here would be tempted to bring in, like, identity and identity politics and be like, oh, I don't see myself, like, as a, like, X, Y, or Z label there. But I think in terms of shared experiences and stuff, I think that's that's really nice. And, like, hearing experiences in song 
that I potentially would relate to. I think that I think is more important to me than like identity. Here's more from Liv's interview with Grove. Could you talk about like the importance of improvisation for you? Totally. Yeah, I think it feels like you're accessing a different part of the brain, like a different level of, it's like more of a subconscious thing. So things you may not have like fully processed or realized if you just kind of like you're in the moment you were just doing as opposed to thinking about doing then so yeah sometimes you access these these things you 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 didn't think were an issue you didn't think that you thought about but you actually do and I yeah with a lot of like the lyrics that I write I will literally like I'll have made the track and then I'm like okay words words and then I'll just hit record on the track and then just literally close my eyes and just say whatever comes to my brain. A lot of the time it doesn't make any sense, but I'll just kind of say like a word. I'll be like, oh, my brain is trying to tell me something here and just kind of string it together as a result of that. And would you say there's like a big link between improvisation and vulnerability? Like, do you feel at a very vulnerable point when you're improvising compared to maybe production? When improvising with a group of people... I feel that's like a super intimate and vulnerable thing to be doing because it's like you are all holding each other like together sonically in this space. And I think, um, yeah, it's it's intimate and in a way vulnerable. Yeah. I was wondering like the ways this might intersect with race and like I was going to mention you giving a speech and performing your track Black at um, the All Black Lives protest. And wonder if you could tell me a bit more about the All Black Lives Bristol movement. I, uh, I've only come back to Bristol post lockdown for the past two months. So I've been to the past two All Black Lives uh, marches. And I remember the first one. So there's like a big variety of different speakers there. And Travis Alabanza spoke. And I really, really love Travis Alabanza. I think they are a wicked speaker, wicked poet, wicked... Um, trans non-binary activist and they spoke and said their piece about the current black liberation movement having to include like all trans queer women black queer trans women and the people who organize it organize that fully supportive of it because with specifically within the black community there is a lot of a lot of discrimination against um queer folk against uh black women against trans trans individuals and uh there was this other speaker who got up right after travis finished he was just saying oh yeah all respect but you're not real and i remember the the organization the all black lives organizers were like sorry like sorry we're gonna have to cut you off there like please inform yourself on on your opinions before just going up and totally disregarding millions of people across the world like you can't just say that trans people aren't real uh that they're confused that queer people aren't real that they're confused and that's something that i've experienced as well i've been i've been told that i need to choose what i am first black or queer i don't know it, it really touched something deep within me because i'm like why can't i be both at the same time why do i have to choose what i want to fight for first there are so many queer and black people. Why do we have to choose like, oh, okay, I'm going to put my blackness out of my queerness or my queerness out of my blackness. To finish off, do you want to like say a bit about anything you've got coming up or like future projects, current work? If you type in Grove, Big Papa into uh, YouTube, you'll find the video. I hope you enjoy it. And also got a song coming out called Sticky, which is a club track written about 
women loving women. Tight up skirt, drink a little brandy, girl so sweet, sticky, sticky like candy. Everybody language now, I hope you understand me. Drop the dance, drop the bass, drop the angry. Tight up skirt, drink a little brandy, girl so sweet, sticky, sticky like candy. Everybody language now, I hope you understand me. It's just gay and it's clubby and it's vibey. Thanks so much for having me on, Liv. That's okay. Thanks for coming yeah. on. Yeah, it's been, it's been, it's, the time has actually flown by. Do you think music is a good medium for creating connections between minorities? And if so, how? Um, yeah, I think, I think it's actually um, essential sometimes because it's just bringing people together and I think it's especially important when it comes to minorities. Music has been used since the dawn of time to create a sense of community, promote beliefs, keep people positive, express political opinions. Music is a huge part of culture and it's often a defining part of people's culture and background. But something like music has been used forever for people to be able to express themselves, whether it's happiness or pain, and make it a staple part of their culture is clearly important and still more prevalent than ever. Is it important to you to connect with artists outside their music, for example, on social media? It is important, and I think it's important um, for them as well, because it's just a way to connect with fans, and, and it's like a nice relationship, and especially like in 2020, because with like a pandemic, I think you have to create this kind of connection even more now, yeah. Very much so. I love seeing what... Um, artists are doing in their personal life because it creates a connection between you and the the artists themselves through Instagram and through Twitter. I also think it allows us to have a insider perception of what, who they are and it allows us to make our own judgments on whether we want to support them. Here's more from my interview with Gurley. to ask uh, a bit about kind of where you you started um with like writing music and like what was it that kind of made you pick up a guitar start playing start writing like originally I mean I loved performing in my teens that kind of just naturally kind of evolved into music I say naturally I think I had this really big moment where I was like I want to rebel against the system I want to write music because I was really academic science and maths and English I got to like 15 and realized I loved English I loved writing creative stories and all that kind of stuff I loved bands and you know I was bullied at school I had a really like terrible time going to gigs was such a liberation you know when I got to be 14 15 and I could go to gigs on my own or like with friends you know without my parents and like it was this whole new world because I saw how much fun it looked, all these bands on stage, like rocking out. I was like, I want that to be my life. So Hell I, yeah. I kind of, in like doing research for this and stuff, I've kind of seen a lot of definitions on what people's takes on what genre your music belongs to. And there's never, it's never described the same way. Uh, so I was wondering kind of how would, yeah. how would you best describe it? The way I think about my music is that it's, it's alternative pop with a punk edge to it. I think the thing that ties it together really is is me. The new music that's about to come out has a lot more of a, yeah, like an aggressive alternative pop 
is what I would call it. So what is your writing process? Like when you, you sit down and you want to write a song, how do you, how do you go about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always writing ideas down, whether it's conversations or overheard conversations or a song that's playing somewhere. And I'm like, oh, I like the, the way that drum sounds or a big part of how I write songs is they all start kind of as poems, I guess. But usually I'll go in with an idea and a concept and kind of already a rough sketch of something and and it'll go from being a baby song to a grown-up song. I like that concept, a baby (laughs) song to a grown-up song. (laughs) It's also uh, quite a visual um, and aesthetic side, um, both in like music videos, but on social media as well. Where did that kind of come from? It's funny, like I think my aesthetic has changed so much um, over the last couple of years. I mean, like I've always had the pink hair. That's always been something um, like a constant. Pink is a color that people underestimate and kind of prejudge, which I think a lot of the time is like how people view women, to be honest. They underestimate them and they prejudge them. Also the word girly, I mean, you know, that came from when someone says something's girly, you immediately think it's like a bit sissy and flimsy. and, And I like the idea that it's actually for me represents something so powerful like badass kick-ass women (laughs) same with the color pink um i mean i still i'm obsessed with japanese culture but i used to be really into kind of kawaii vibes and so when i started out when i was like 17 i was very cutesy and then i think it's developed into a punk style um really inspired at the moment by kind of 90s badass bands like bikini kill and hole and their aesthetic and kind of DIY rip it up and start again kind of vibe and then I've always been really inspired by I know Gwen Gwen Stefani but then also a lot of the kind of 70s punk bands like X-Ray Specs and Susie Sue and the Banshees and all that kind of vibe song is called has been and um the video and the song when this podcast airs is out now um and it's basically about being dropped by my label and everything falling apart in my life and having a breakup and then just realizing like you know what stuff you all I'm gonna live my life and do it for me people knew that I it wasn't really real I think fans can really tell when something's not authentic and yeah, that just taught me, okay, I'm just going to do things my own way now and trust my gut and, and do things that I want to do and creatively do things that I want to do. And all of this music and the videos and the visuals that are about to come out is all creatively directed by me. And that feels amazing. Nice. I think that is a really great note to end things on. Thank you so much for uh, no, for talking you. to us and um, best of luck with uh, what's coming up. It's going to be really exciting to kind of see this this new part in your journey. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to our guests, Girly and Grove. You can find them on all social media platforms at They Is Grove and Girly Music. Also, a massive thanks to the people from the community who answered our questions and shared some invaluable insights. 
It's been great to explore the topics and themes of gender and identity in the music industry, and we really hope you gain some new understandings and feel inspired to continue these conversations in your own lives. You've been listening to the Higher Frequency Podcast with me, Melina Simonson. And me, Liv Kisby. This episode was produced by Felipe Eri Franco. It's a bold-faced production for youth music, led by Femi Oriogon Williams. This episode was sponsored by Notion Magazine, a space for pioneering talent. Next time on The Higher Frequency. The last year has been unlike anything we've ever experienced before. But how is this affecting local music scenes around the country? We'll be tracing its effects from the buskers on Buchanan Street in Glasgow. It's been a lot more competitive, like trying to get a spot in Glasgow. People are coming up from London. Just everybody's out with their dogs. To clubs in Brighton and its queer nightlife scene. It feels so, so, so different to DJing in the club. It produces a different kind of thing. Because usually when you're on a Zoom call, everyone's having, like, just bands on the chat. And I just want to get involved. But I'm also, like, I also have to play, so...